Thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry, you can check us out on the web at hillsideassembly.org. You're about to hear a message from our current message series, and I hope you open your heart and mind to hear a word from God today. Lord, we thank you for the time of worship that you've allowed us to have this morning. Lord, as we transition to the preaching of your word, we pray that there would be an anointing in this place for the preaching and proclamation of your word. And God, that we would be ready for and correction. You would work in our hearts and ears and spirit to, Lord, hear the word of direction and correction that you might have for us today. We give you praise, glory, and honor. And God's people said, amen. And Robbie, before you leave, could you help me out today? Would you get ready to uh, read a passage of scripture for me? Can you pull up Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19? Worship team, great job this morning. Um, absolutely. Dave, when you get a chance, could you bring up a stool for me? That would be phenomenal. Um, today we're going to jump into talking about Saul's salvation and transformation. You might remember this guy from previous scriptures that we've talked about over the last several weeks, and uh, we're going to jump into this today, looking at the life of, of Saul. Over the next several weeks, uh, we'll be doing this. We'll take a quick break on Father's Day uh, to talk about Jacob is the plan, uh, but I hope that you'll stick with us and that you'll come with us on this incredible journey as we look at the salvation and transformation of Saul. Now, you might remember him back in Acts chapter 7. It says this, they dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the, witness, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was there at the beginning of the persecution. This is the first time that we see him in action, holding the coats for those witnessing the stoning of Stephen. In Acts chapter 8, we see again that Paul shows up. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. That is a powerful statement. Saul began to destroy the church. That phrase right there is written by Luke, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not a mistake. But here, house to house, he tries to take us and how his life begins to change as Christ gets a hold of him in a very dramatic fashion. But, uh, but this morning, uh, Robin, would you read for us Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 19. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went back to the house and entered it. 
placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. The salvation and transformation of Saul of Tarsus, the leading persecutor of the Christian church, was perhaps the greatest event in church history since the Spirit fell at Pentecost. It was transformational. This one man would go on to great and extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. The next great event would be the conversion of Gentiles, the salvation of Gentiles that happens in Acts chapter 10. And Saul would become the lead person to the Gentiles. God would continue to work out his plan and bring the gospel to the entire world. According to the Bible, Saul experiences four meetings that together transform his life. Those four meetings are his meeting with Jesus, his meeting with Ananias, his meeting with opposition, and then meeting with the believers from Jerusalem. Now listen, I don't want to rush through this, and we could take all four of these points, pound them into one sermon and get through it, but I believe that God wants to take some time to walk us through this process because I think it's important and there's some things for us to learn in our own personal journeys with Jesus. So today we're going to tackle just the first one. Let's talk about Saul's meeting with Jesus. When you look at Saul on the road uh, in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, you see a very zealous man who actually thought he was doing God a service by persecuting the church. This, Jesus of buddy is the promised Messiah. Would God take a cursed, false prophet and make him the Messiah? No. His followers are preaching that Jesus is both alive and doing miracles through them, but their power must come from Satan, not from God. This is a dangerous sect, and I intend to eliminate it before it destroys our historic Jewish faith. Think about it for a moment. In spite of his great learning, Saul was spiritually blind. Like many of his other countrymen, he stumbled over the message of the cross. What Saul thought he knew was stopping him from experiencing the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what a difference Jesus Christ can make in your life. Remember this, Saul believed in God. He was extremely passionate about his religious life. He attended church. He listened and applied the sermons of the priests and elders. He worshiped at the synagogue. He prayed fervently and studied the Old Testament manuscripts. Yet he was blind to who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing. Wow. Can I give you just two pieces of spiritual advice today? Just two. The first one is be careful of what you think you know. Be careful of what you think you know. What you think you know can get you in trouble. Be careful of what others think they know that you listen to. Be careful this morning. In fact, I believe that this morning that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to your heart because there might be some people in your life that you're allowing to speak into your life that are influencing the way you think about things. And you might think, ah, these people are spiritual, that they're, they're, they're fervent, they go to church. And they're speaking these things into your life, but they are not helping you move forward in your relationship or mission with the Lord. They're actually taking you further away. I want you to think for a moment about the voices that you listen to. What is the message that they really have in your life? 
Are they messages of hope and direction and encouragement and healing? Or are they messages of complaining and ridicule and persecution? Think through that for a moment. What are these voices actually doing to who you are? Be careful of what you think you know. Just this last week, and I haven't followed this up since Thursday, so I can't speak about anything beyond Thursday. But this week started off with an organization that everybody in this room would probably be familiar with who seems to follow Christian values. And there's been a rumor going around about their business and the possibility of a a position that they might have at their corporate offices. They might be developing. Now, this is only a rumor, at least as of a Thursday. It was only a rumor. It was amazing to me because I heard all of these Christian commentators talk about this and say, well, it's only a rumor. Then they spent the next 30 minutes talking about how horrible this is for this organization. About it. Not Jesus' truth. Doesn't not he call us to be his people and to walk in truth and discover truth? Then we need to be careful what we listen to and what we say. I find it interesting that the number one thing that I've heard some of these commentators say, this organization should come out and defend themselves. That's interesting. Because is that what Jesus asked us to do? I got to thinking, maybe the CEO of this company is actually praying, and maybe he's going, listen, I don't respond to rumors. I don't know if that's the case or not, but when I walk in those shoes, I hope that that's my response. Let's stop allowing gossip to influence our lives, and let's stop spreading those things. Let's be seekers of the truth. Be careful of what you think you know and be careful what others think they know. Seek the truth. Sometimes we just need to be silent, church, and we need to hear the voice of God. We need to hear the voice of Jesus. The second piece of advice I'd give you this morning is this, is walk humbly before your God. He knows better than you do. He knows better than I do. And when we begin to walk in a place where we do not humble ourselves before the king, but we think we have all the answers, and think we think we know how to do ministry or how to take on every situation in our life, that is a very dangerous place to be. That is a place of arrogance. And when ministries become that, they become dangerous in all the wrong ways. They become destructive. Just yesterday, my wife and I watched a documentary on the movement of Bill Gothard. I don't know how many of you are familiar with him. I watched him preach for all of 30 seconds, and I knew this ministry was in trouble. Because when a man proclaims that he has all the answers for God's people, there is a serious problem. That is arrogance, my friend. And that's why his ministry has been full of abuses is because they started to walk in religion instead of walking humbly with God. We need to be a people who always remain humble to our king. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. When he puts you in a place where you are in a den with a pit of lions, he knows what he's doing. We must remain humble. We must remain humble before our God. The word says that Saul was destroying the church. He began to destroy the church. The greatest danger to the church is not sin today. It's not hell. Jesus himself said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. That's a powerful statement from our Savior. 
But the same Holy Spirit led Luke to write, this man Saul began to destroy the church. What was destroying the church? Religion. Religion. A form of spirituality without any consistency in the relationship with the Savior. And when that happens, it will destroy the church. Don't get me wrong. Jesus wants to deal with sin. And when sin is in the church, there's a problem. You don't have to look any further than the book of Joshua. When there's sin in the camp, it's hard to have victory. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of the sin in our life. Allow him to clean out sin, refusing to bear It will crush it. Paul was destroying families, throwing people in jail. At a minimum, he endorsed the killing of Christians if he did not participate in it personally. But he genuinely thought he was serving and honoring God by doing this. It drove him. That's why he went to the the highest officials to say, look, give me a document that frees me up to go outside of Jerusalem and to hunt down these people who are sharing this message of Jesus. Because this is what God would do. He would wipe it out. Let me honor God. Let me serve God by freeing me up and giving me the power to hunt down these Christians. It was not until Jesus confronts his spiritual blindness with physical blindness that he actually begins to see the truth in his life and the truth of what God really is calling him to do. Saul Saul suddenly found himself on the ground. It was not heat stroke, a heart attack, or a seizure that put him there. It was a personal meeting with Jesus Christ. At midday, he saw a bright light from heaven and heard a voice speaking his name. The men with with him also fell to the earth and heard the sound, but they could not understand the words spoken from heaven. They stood to their feet in bewilderment, hearing Saul address someone, but not knowing what was happening. Saul made some wonderful discoveries this day. He began with the fact that he discovered to his surprise that Jesus was actually alive. So sure was he that Jesus was dead that he found out Jesus was alive. Of course, the believers had been consistently affirming this, but Saul had refused to accept their testimony. That can't possibly be right. I know what I know. I know what I know. This must be the truth because it's what I know. Yet it was wrong. If Jesus was alive, then Saul had to change his mind about Jesus, his message, and he had to repent. A difficult thing for a self-righteous Pharisee to do, and that's exactly what he was. Religious. The top religious person but a man reaping destruction in the church. Saul also discovered that he was a lost sinner who was in danger of the judgment of God. I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Wow. Strong statement from our Lord. I'm the guy that you're hunting down for all the wrong reasons. Saul thought he had been serving God when in reality he had been persecuting the Messiah. When measured by the holiness of Jesus, Saul's good works and legalistic self-righteousness look like filthy rags. Can I tell you all the things that we do for the kingdom of God, all the ministry, all the service that we do is nothing compared to who Jesus is and what he has already done. It fails in comparison. If 
Find me the greatest evangelist, the greatest pastor in the world. It's as if it were filthy rags. Compare. It's not about your titles and women's. You know what it's about? Jesus. And when we lose that, we're on the road to somewhere we don't want to go. We're on the road of arrogance when Jesus stops being the most important thing. When you view people who don't know Christ, how do you view them? Do we view them like our Savior? We see their sin, and do we, do we begin to be so offended by their sin that we complain about the sin of a sinner? Or do we see the pain of the sinner first like Jesus did with the woman at the well? Don't get me wrong, he addressed the sin. But the first thing he saw was a person who was hurting. Is that the kind of heart that we have? Over three days, all of Saul's values changed. He was a new person because he trusted Jesus. You think Jesus' correction, you might think that Jesus' correction was harsh. Blinding Saul, taking his eyesight. What kind of God are you serving, man, that does that kind of thing? Jesus would never do that to me. The fact is, is Jesus loved Saul enough, this person who was destroying his church. Jesus loved him enough to run him down on a road and to bring direction and correction and discipline to him because he loved him. Wow. Can I tell you that's how much God cares about you this morning? I don't care if you're the youngest or the oldest here. If you just started coming to church or you've attended this church or a different church for 50 years, I don't care if you've got credentials in the Assemblies of God or some other denomination. I don't care how good a preacher you are, how great your talents are, how gifted a musician you might be. You are not above God's correction and direction. No one is. And when you start putting yourself there, you are in a very dangerous place. God corrects us and directs us because he has something better for us. And when we get stuck in religion, we get stuck in checklists and here's, here are all the guidelines. And don't get me wrong, guidelines are good. The Old Testament law is what they had, but Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. And it was all about a relationship with him. I mean, how many people's minds did he blow? When he started showing up and doing things, they go, whoa, 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 whoa. That is not on the checklist, Jesus. You can't hang out with that person. You can't go to their house for lunch. You can't speak to that person. What are you? You can't go to the well and have that kind of conversation with that woman there. What type of man are you? You are not following the checklist. Jesus' response I am the checklist. You cannot tell Jesus where he will go or what he will do. He tells us where we will go and what we will do. We got to get it right. We got to get it right. And I will tell you this. Where Jesus will tell you to go is a place where you are not comfortable. <laughs> That's just not for the young people in this room. That's for some of us who are getting older and some of us who are very mature in our faith today. God will take you to places that are uncomfortable. God, look at Ananias. You want me to what now? Jesus, let me remind you of who you are talking about. I've heard about this cat. He's destroying the church, Jesus. He's wrecking families. He's putting people in prison. There are people dying because of this guy. And you want me to go and have a conversation with him? I think you have the wrong guy. Because that's uncomfortable. 
We'll talk more about that next week, Lord willing. The Lord had a special work for Saul to do. The Hebrew of Hebrews would become the apostle to the Gentiles. (laughs) The guy who would not want anything to do with Gentiles whatsoever. You're going to become their pastor. (laughs) And you're going to love them. The persecutor would become the preacher. The legalistic Pharisee would become the greatest proclaimer of God's grace outside of Jesus himself. The man who was so religious, he couldn't find his way out of a paper bag, would become the greatest proclaimer of grace outside of Jesus. Wow. That's the power of how Jesus can change your life. When you first come to him, and 20 years later, and 30 years later, that type of transformation can still happen in your life. Thank goodness for a God who does not give up on us. Can you say that? I've said it before, but I'll say it again, because it is my testimony, and I will stand on it. I thought I knew him. And then COVID hit. And who I thought I knew was not who I knew. And on my knees in brokenness going, I don't know how to do church. I found the Savior like Saul did. I was walking, trying to do church. Now I am a part of the church. Brokenness is not a bad thing. It's a needed thing. Don't get me wrong, I could preach before COVID. I did ministry before COVID, and yes, sometimes it was effective. By God's grace, it was effective sometimes. But I hadn't experienced life until I said, I don't know. The things I think I know are holding me back from following you. Some of the things I'm listening to, people I'm listening to that are telling me, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. Don't make sense to me, Lord, because I hear your voice calling me somewhere else. It's why we went outside and did services. It's why I preached outside in the snow all winter long that first winter. Not because I was scared of a virus, but because I heard the voice of the Lord preach my word and reach the lost. Those days are my glory days. I don't want to live there. I want new adventures with the king. Don't get me wrong. But there is nothing like that season in my life. I will remember the cold and my beard freezing and snot's coming out my nose, preaching outside in the cold. But I remember feeling so close to the Savior because my worship cost me something. And because I was broken and humble before my God. Lord, may I never, ever Lose my humility before you. Church, does God already know? Up to this point, Saul had been like a wild animal, fighting against the the goads. That's a a sharp stick uh, that a farmer would use to encourage the oxen to go the right direction. He was just bumping up against that thing, didn't care how much damage it was causing. He was just a wild animal, but now he would become a vessel of honor that God would use to preach the gospel in the regions far beyond he would ever think to go. He went to the high priest and said, look, send me to the next closest town to get these Christians. Yeah, God would say, I'm sending you halfway across the world, man, to reach people to become Christians. (laughs) Isn't it crazy how God would do that? Empowerment. I love the fact that our God empowers us. Some 30 years later, Paul wrote that Christ had apprehended him on the Damascus road. Wow, powerful words. Saul was out to arrest others when the Lord arrested him. 
he had to lose his religion before he could gain the righteousness of Christ. This is the toughest thing I have to tell you this morning. I know what it's like when God knocks you on your butt. It can be humbling and it can hurt. He doesn't do it to hurt you. He does it because he has something better for you. At our first church that I served at as, as a, an associate pastor, there was a man who was thought well of in the church. He had his own business. My wife actually worked for him for a period of time. Religious man. Very religious. Because he thought he knew. And he would not humble himself before God. You never want to be used this way. Because it's very difficult. God brought me to that church, a young kid who didn't know anything about ministry. Just trying my hardest to follow Christ. When I would have conflict with this man, uh, wasn't looking for it, didn't try to have it. Man, it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. People, Some people in the church said, this guy has lost his mind over you. I don't know what the deal is. I'm like, me either. I'm like, I've never even had a conversation with him, not one conversation. When this man showed up in our youth group one night and began to cuss and swear words I haven't heard since, or ever before or since, I was like, I don't think that that's physically possible, what he just asked me to do. Um, he wanted to go beat my beep, beepity bleep bleep in the parking lot. And I'm like, what? Who is this guy? Somebody get this guy his medication because he needs it. Uh, I had no idea who he was. Somehow God used this young boy to push him over the edge. And he would not humble himself. We would come out, come to know later that he was abusing uh, people in the church, not sexually, um, but definitely emotionally. Uh, he was uh, working with young men in our church. Um, they would go on camping trips and stuff, and he would scare the snot out of them. He would take things and break them. Uh, cameras, that kind of stuff, and tell them, don't you dare tell your parents, I know where you live, that kind of, I mean, just crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Because this guy, his number one thing, one number one goal was control. When God's goal is always empowerment. And I watched God knock him off his horse. Trauma after medical. I watched it wreck his business. I watched it wreck his family. You do not want to be that person. You do not want that. Church, it works a whole lot better if we humble ourselves before God and ask him to speak to us and to correct our actions that way than getting knocked off our horse knocked on our keister and blinded and broken by God. You don't want that experience if you don't have to walk it. To my knowledge, that man never repented. And it breaks my heart when I think about it. I don't want that for you. So here's what we're going to do. I think I saw Robbie. How'd the kids do? They're going to be ready to lead worship next week. All right, awesome. Robbie, would you come to the piano? Church isn't a game for me. It's my life. Can I tell you, this, the enemy did not want this message preached. He threw everything but the kitchen sink over the last three days. But God wanted to speak a word to you today. That he wants to guide you. Remember I gave you two pieces of advice. Be careful of what you think you know. And walk humbly before your God. As Robbie begins to play, I just want to open up the altar. Real men and women of God aren't afraid to give before God. 
and just say, search me. Search my heart, search my mind. Lord, if there is something that I'm doing that is damaging the church, if it's damaging me, if it's damaging others, speak to me, convict me that I might be able to make things right. I don't want God to have to knock you off a horse. I don't want him to have to blind you and break you. But God will do it because he loves you. Not because he wants to hurt you or he's vengeful or he's out to get you, but because he has something so much better for you. So I'm just wondering, are there some people here that would just join me at the altar to just seek your heart and just allow God to, to change and transform whatever he might want you to do, to give you direction or to give you correction today? I mean, I believe you came to this place not to be entertained today, but to meet with God. So why don't we just do that? I'm just going to be up here at the altar, and you're welcome to come join me. But I'm just going to ask the Lord to seek my heart and seek my mind. And if there's things that need to change, I'm going to let him change it.
just going to give a little bit of direction for just a moment. Whether you're at the altar, sitting in the pew, you're out in the foyer. I just want you to begin to breathe. Just kind of deep breaths to calm your spirit, calm your mind. And just for a moment, just let there be silence. We're so quick sometimes to pray and and engage sometimes with we want to tell God what we think. Let's just let's just be silent for a moment and let him speak to you. somebody here today, um, you're just running, trying your hardest to do something for the Lord, and you just keep hitting roadblock after roadblock, and you keep telling the enemy to get behind you, and tell him where he can go, and all those kind of things, but I believe the Lord has a message for you this morning. He's been putting up roadblocks in your life, not because he, he's trying to hurt you, but because his number one desire is to heal your heart. There's been something in the past, and you, you think it's dealt with, but it's, it's not to the level of healing that God wants. So he's put you in a season where he's like, look, just slow down and let me heal you. Let me heal you. Let me go to the deep places and you find it frustrating because that is not your personality. That is not what you want to do. But God loves you enough that he has slowed you down to do some healing inside of your heart and your mind and with things in the past. Let him do it. Let him do it. Let him take as long as he wants to. Stop, stop bucking against the goad, the sharp stick, and just let it go and let God do it. Lord, I love this church. You love these people. God, I pray that your spirit would speak. Someone here, you might think this message is for everybody else. But God is trying to speak to you. Because some of the things that you say are harsh and hurtful. You don't see him as that. You don't mean him as that. What you think you're doing, building the kingdom, you're really tearing, tearing the kingdom down. And God wants to speak to you about the way that you speak to others, the way that you bring things out, the way that you think about some things. Lord, this church means so much to you. hundred years. We've been working on this church, and we are still a work in progress. Thank you for your grace. <laughs> Thank you for the longevity. God, this generation is built for victory. This generation of this church is built for victory. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in the lives of those here today, of those watching online. God, I pray that you would impart to every one of them the spiritual gift of discernment. Just because someone goes to church, just because someone is a minister, just because someone has a Jesus fish on the back of their car does not mean they were a follower of Christ. 
nor should we listen to them. Lord, we need to be able to examine fruit. Lord, I, I still believe that, that word for earlier, that we're listening to somebody who is religious. They're complaining. They're doing these things. We spend time with them that our heart goes in the wrong direction. We become religious and we lose, we're losing our relationship with you by spending time with these people, Lord, that needs to be confronted. Lord, I pray that you would speak to those who need to confront those voices. Maybe they need to turn the radio off. Maybe they need to tell a friend, listen, I can't listen to that anymore. We can hang out, but I can't have you talk like that in my life anymore. It's time for us to, to be the church. Lord, as we interact with our community, it's really easy for us to, to look and go, oh, man, you see is a broken person, a broken heart. God, we need that kind of spiritual awakening in us to see the brokenness first. So that, Lord, we can learn how to love people that are difficult for us to love. Because if the gospel message is not shared, if it's not experienced, Lord, that person has no hope of breaking free from the sin that has them entrapped. Lord, I know that the church speaks a lot about culture wars. You're not interested in a culture war. You're interested in people's salvation. That's what the church needs to stand for. Lord, I pray for our people today that God, your spirit would flow in their life. The Lord, the spirit of religion likes to show up in our life so much. It claws back at our freedom in Christ and it tries to ensnare us and draw us back into that life of religion. But Lord, you came not only to defeat death and sin, but also to crush the spirit of religion and bring a spirit of freedom and life. Lord, help us to live free, to live empowered. Lord, for the individuals this morning that are inside, there is a longing for control. Lord, may you switch to a spirit of empowerment and wanting to empower others, not control others, empower them. Lord, we love you. Church, would you just raise your hands for a moment? Just begin to praise God for who he is. Because it's all about him. It's not about us. It's not about the things that we will do or that we've done, both good and bad, both for the kingdom and against the kingdom. It is all about Jesus. Who he is and what he's already done and what he will do. Robbie? We sang that song, Gratitude, earlier today. We played it here just a moment ago. Let's sing that song together. Again and again, cause all that I have. 
by an almighty God. He cares for you so much. He'll make the path straight. He doesn't work in our timing. We work in His. Lord, I pray this morning, God, for those in need of healing in their life, emotional healing in your time. It's not about having it done quick. It's about doing it right. Lord, sometimes you work miracles that are instantaneous. Sometimes your miracles take time. Noah didn't build the ark over one night. 
And Lord, sometimes we get impatient with you that you don't work on our, our timetable or our clock. Lord, help us to be patient. Help us to have soft and humbled hearts before you. Help us this week, Lord, as we walk out our life to, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and go, you think you know something you don't really know about. Lord, help us when the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, it's time to bite your tongue and just be still. And help us in the times where we're meant to speak. But when we speak, Lord, may we do so with the spirit that is right and loving and guided by you. Lord, help us to see people the way you see them. And Lord, help us to be a people who deal with our sin, with the junk in our life. Don't let it fester in us, Lord. Work in our lives, work in our hearts. Lord, we pray over our offering today that, God, as we give, may we give out of a heart of abundance, whether we're giving online today or we're dropping our offering in the box. Lord, what we give, Lord, may you do more with it than we ever thought possible. May you use this little church in Ripon to change people's lives. Lord, we love missions, and that will always be a priority as long as we can. Lord, may your blessings flow in your people. May you provide for them in incredible ways this next week. Lord, we pray over this wedding that will take place in just a little while. Lord, that this new couple, they would be blessed. Uh, Lord, we pray for Rick and Laura, that there would be peace in their life as their daughter gets married, that, God, you would bless this union, and that, God, you would have your way. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, that you're at work. Lord, in Dave's life this morning, God, that arm's going to be healed. I believe it in Jesus' name. You got great people there. They're ready to work on that. And Lord, maybe they're saying this morning, I don't know what to do. That's okay. The King of Kings knows what to do. Uh, and Lord, as they get in there today and they start putting this puzzle back together, God, make it so. Make it so. Guide them. Show them. Where there is no way, make a way. Lord, we give you praise, glory, and honor. And God's people said, amen, amen. I love you, church. But if I'm going to make it to a wedding, I do need to leave. Um, so we do love a board member back in our foyer. If one of our board members could be back there today at the table. We've got a free gift we'd love to put in your hands today if you're a guest with us. We love you. Please come back again next Sunday. God's got more for you.